Looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. This is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. Today, we bring back a favorite guest of ours, Jeremy O'Keefe. If you haven't listened to episode number 17, where we talk VFR and rehab with Jeremy and John Corbo, you need to go listen to it after this episode. Jeremy is one of the current sports physical therapy residents with Fairview Health. He graduated with a Doctor of Physical Therapy degree from the University of North Dakota in 2019. He is a certified strength and conditioning specialist through the NSCA with experience coaching collegiate, high school, and youth athletes. Jeremy's interests in rehab include progression of strength and conditioning and return to sport, BFR training, and working with hockey players of all ages. Let's continue to grow the mind and change the system. Well, and, you know, even to that, like the, uh, just the fact that like you're along for the ride, like this is, I never thought that I would be living in a pandemic in my lifetime. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, you just, you just kind of assume like we have it figured out. Like it's 2020, we got to figure it out. Like we're not going to live in a pandemic or something like that. And then when this, like when it first started off, it was like, you know, all that there, you know, that stuff like that happens, you know, f- you know, somewhat frequently that where there's little outbreaks of something, but then they kind of fizzle out and little outbreaks. And then it was starting to spread and you're like, oh, I wonder if this is actually going to get to us. And all of a sudden, like the NBA is the one that makes the big move. Right. And they shut down. And then it was like everything after that was just domino effect. Yeah. And so it, I think it'll be the similar effect on the back end of it, where it's going to take one of these major leagues to make a move. And then it will start to domino effect more and more things to happen. I mean, you're seeing it a little bit with golf where, where they're starting to try and get some sort of interaction with their fan base and, and keep people excited about golf and, and have some sort of kind of, you know, something to get excited about, if you will. But it's, uh, that's probably the easiest sport to socially distance and do, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so it's only going to get more difficult from here. Yeah, I was going to had- say, this is like, as far as the, the Last Dance documentary, are you watching that? Oh, yeah. Dude, this is like the perfect time for that to be launched because we're all so starved for anything sports related that I feel like this is really giving MJ like his dues in a way. You know what I mean? Because if this was like going on during the NBA finals or like other sports were going on or baseball or just anything, I feel like there'd be a little bit less attention on it. And in that sense, I'm kind of glad that like everybody's like appreciating what he did for the NBA. You know what I mean? Cause there's nothing else to focus on at this time. The sports related. Yeah. I mean, you're taking a hockey guy and I'm sitting here like glued to my TV for two hours at eight o'clock on Sunday. <laughs> I'm there. I'm here. Like I'm dialed in, you know, like, I mean, I, I can't say that if, and you know, I, of course they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have put it at this point. Like if the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, you know, we could have watched the masters. Like if all that was going on, there's no chance that I like, you know, I would have watched it, but it would have been like right. when I had time to, Yeah. now it's like Sunday at eight o'clock. Like I cannot be interrupted. I'm watching this. Yeah. <laughs> it's an event. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. I think the same thing would be if it was like a Wayne Gretzky documentary, like if they did like an eight or 10 part, like I would right. definitely tune into that. Or if they did, um, try and think like football, Ooh. I think like I don't know, they're saying like there's not too many people you can do a right? 10 part on. 
Right. Bo Jackson would have been unbelievable. Cause I think a lot of people yeah. like on the surface know his story, but don't like actually know the intricacies of it. Have you seen that documentary? It's like, you don't know Bo or whatever. It's like a 30 for 30, I think. I uh, know I haven't. Oh, you got to check that one out, man. That's, that's what you're looking for. That's what you just yeah, that's what up, starving dude. for. It. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, Bo is pretty sweet. If you had a guess right now, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, put a, gun to your head but if i did when would sports get back to normal like all sports are going there may or may not be fans but like all four of them are up and running do you think the the over under is january 1st i will take the under only because i think football is the machine yeah for sure and i think that it, when it when push comes to shove, I think that the NFL and college football, college football specifically because of how much it drives athletic departments, uh, is going to be crucial to get going at some point. I think it's going to be really, really difficult because I think all four professional sports can run with, on some level. And this is totally me speaking from the cuff. I have absolutely no actual knowledge like how this stuff works but in my head this is how it makes sense that like i would guess that all four major sports in terms of like the nhl nba nfl uh you know mlb can run without fans and have like a fan base and and have like tv sponsors and all those things that can like contribute to how they make money to like keep them going where i think you know, college football, if you think of like a power five team, yeah, they might be able to survive without fans, but those teams make so much money on gate to like yep. keep other sports running and to, mm -hmm. to actually be somewhat financially something. Uh, I think it gets a lot more difficult when you get to college sports and even more pressing when it's your college football, that's making a ton of money and it's going to be difficult to, to kind of get that boat to stop rocking. Yeah, it's that, hard too if the if school's not open. Like if kids right. aren't back in yeah. school, I don't know if they can play sports or not, or if this is just like a time where we start to separate school and sports a little bit. And maybe that's for the better, especially right. with the uh, basketball and football. But yeah, I mean, to your point, you know, how can you how can you have a football team on campus when you can't host a hundred hundred person English class in an right. auditorium? You know, I, I, th I think there's a, that's a really, yeah. really difficult argument to make if you're on the sports side of it. The other part, I think, that, uh, I was kind of like, so, so I know, uh, NBA, uh, I don't think it's gotten into the NFL yet, but like there was at least talks or speculation that the NBA would be able to resume at some point if they had enough testing for it. And then you kind of get into like the bigger question of, like I'm a I'm a huge sports guy. Like I live for like watching sports. Absolutely love it. But it's also like a bigger global question of is it worth you using like all these tests? Like pretty much. I mean, you have to do it pretty much every day, right? Because like if an athlete gets it, you need to know right away before he spreads it. Um, otherwise, the whole league gets shut down anyway. So it's like, is it worth spending all of these tests to take away from the rest of the public, or is that? just the perception that it would be but like right. 
they purchase the test separately or I don't know. It's just, it gets kind of muddy, you know? Oh yeah. It, and it's going to be like, you know, planes, trains, and automobiles for them to actually get something to get going. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, can you imagine the meetings that are going on every single day? And like, I mean, it's every single day that you see some sort of announcement that like, Oh, the MLB is talking about doing this and everybody gets all excited. And then it's like, right. Oh, the NHL is talking about, you know, for, for a while there, you know, there was like speculation or like talks that it was going to land in grand fork. So, I mean, people here were going nuts, like, Oh, they're going to play at the Ralph. And like, they were, you know, it was all excited. And then that died. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it's always kind of evolving. I'm sure that people are just losing hair or trying to get things going and, 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 and ultimately do the right thing. I think it's going to really come down to, like I said, with the NBA, you, you started the season and, or, you know, you, you started your season and then you, you were the first ones to end and then it kind of everything dominoed. But I think it's really hard to be the first one there and you don't want to be the last one there. Yeah. So it's like, cause if you're, if you're the first one to open up and then all of a sudden it just spreads like wildfire, then okay, well, we shouldn't have done that. And then you look really bad. So I think that's hard for those leagues to do too. Right, exactly. Where, where are you at with like just following it on the news or Twitter or like are you surrounding yourself with a lot of this stuff? Not even related to sports, but just the coronavirus. It's hard. It's hard not to. Like, I, you know, I, of course, you know, being a millennial, like I'm on social media and stuff like that. So even if I try, like I, I'm not like, sitting in on every speech and every update from every governor and, and, uh, you know, nothing like that. I try to keep myself informed and, and enough to make sure that I'm following their guidelines and doing what they're asking me to do so that I can at least, you know, mitigate the risk of, of being a part of maybe the issue instead of the solution. Um, but I, I think it, you know, I follow a lot of therapists and I'm sure as you guys do, you know, strength coaches, therapists, docs, you know, all the medical providers are, are, are putting out, you know, their opinions or, or what they see or the data. So I come across it without even trying a lot of times, but I'm not, I don't say that I, you know, I, I don't sit at home and, and fester over it by any means either. Yeah. I How think there's, there's a healthy balance of like 100%. exposure to it at this point. Cause I'm the same way where like, yeah, you want to be informed enough so that you kind of know what's going on. But, um, I mean, I don't think that's good for your mental health to just be, and it, and it sucks you in quick. Right. Cause it's like, I'll go, I'll go multiple days without even looking at it right now, just because it's like, we're in the home, uh, I'm furloughed right now. So just like, there's no reason for me to be going out and doing anything crazy. Um, but then you'll like look at a tweet and then that pulls you into another tweet. And then it's like, 15 minutes later, you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, for sure. And and that's just it. Like, you know, to your point, it until somebody tells me that I can go do things and, and have like a less, uh, you know, maybe a decrease to worry about it. Like, you know, we're still doing what everybody else is doing. We're getting our groceries and, and, you know, picking up food at different restaurants, but it's not like we're going out and running around and doing anything crazy. You know, it's just, we go from, you know, we go from home doing the stuff that we do to where we're going to go and back and to where we're going to go and back and, and really just trying to be as mindful as we can to, to do that. What's interesting is in North Dakota, they're opening up a little bit, right? So like they have some restaurants that are open here uh, with like rules and regulations, of course, 
Right. So we'll go to like pick up food from some of our favorite local places and they have people kind of spaced out throughout. So you're, it's kind of interesting to walk in there and it's such a weird, like eerie feeling when you're just going to pick up food and you're paying for it and there's people around, it, you know, it's just, you feel like you're, you know, I need to go home and shower or something. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it, well, it's totally, it's reframed like what's considered fun. Cause now like if Meg and I go to Target to like grab groceries, it's like, okay, this is like our daily event, you know? And like, it's like, I would yeah. never be excited to go to Target before. Um, yeah, yeah. Like it's like getting in the car and going somewhere, regardless of where it is, is like all of a sudden fun and something that you like look forward to. Oh yeah. And even, you know, my wife and I have just even taken drives to get some windshield time outside. Yep. You know, I like just like sit in the car and drive around and feel like you're doing something and, and, you know, talk and, it's kind of funny like it, it it's been good in the sense that like it's an it's a forced pause button too you run around so much trying to do so many things and trying to accomplish so many things i think it's a force and i'm sure we'll talk more about this kind of as things go but you know just kind of a forced pause button yeah i think a lot of us need that especially with i don't know because a couple months ago i felt like i didn't have time to like go on a walk and like not bring my phone or like do anything during it just like go on like a 10 minute walk and i would make every excuse obviously in the winter it's a little tougher but i would make any excuse not to go and now i go on like multiple walks a day and i feel a lot better when i'm doing it and it just shows like you gotta make time for things that are important and it's like no i don't need to be i don't need to be on my phone or computer all day like i can go outside even though there's nothing like to do like i'm gonna make the best of it and find something to to help myself and and i think tom i think that's the biggest thing where like the number one excuse whether it's in physical therapy or like just in life or anything is like i don't have time and i've used that excuse thousands of times you know um but now it's like you can't really use that i mean (laughs) obviously if you have kids at home and you're working from home it's it's a little bit different story but it's still it's more time than you ever would have had before like you're not commuting you're not having some of those other demands um so like you need to find a different excuse or you need to start doing the thing that you've always been putting off. So I think if we can like, and that's why I think it's so important to look at this as when I say a positive, I don't mean like, I know people are dying and like, it's a terrible situation. It's a pandemic, but like, look at it as a positive for you as much as you can to like make a, a positive life change and like do something differently that you wouldn't have been able to do before, like start a new exercise routine, start eating healthier because you have the time to cook for yourself, um, start going on more walks, start spending more time with the people you love. Because it's like, it's going to get back to normal. We don't know when it will be 2021 or later this year or whatever it is. But like, at that time, you can't be like, looking back like, oh, I should have used that time differently. Like we're in it right now, use the time right now, you know? Mm-hmm. I think you're speaking to just even reframing things. For, like, just, it's, it's not good everybody has kind of acknowledged that nobody would ever say like, Oh, I hope that there's a pandemic so that I can try and reframe, you know, do things in my life that I wouldn't have time for, but here we are. And so at this point, I think the best thing that we can do is, okay, like you said, use the time that maybe you wanted to do such and such start a new exercise routine. Okay. Well, no excuse now. Like, I mean, yeah, the gyms aren't open, but there's plenty of things that you can do mm-hmm. and, and, you know, or, or eating healthy. Yeah. I mean, I, I love to cook too. So I've just been 
you know, cooking and, and, uh, like smoking meats and doing stuff like that too. Because oh, you have a smoker? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, yeah. Like, I'm trying to so, convince Mike that we need a smoker. Oh, it's a, it's honestly, it's a no brainer. Like once you, once you get it, you'll realize that it's, it's such an underrated pleasure on like a Sunday yeah. when you can just take a little bit of time to actually like put in some work on something. And the flip side of it is it's awesome for meal prep. Like if you make a bunch of meat, well, yeah, you can kind of spin that off into a whole bunch of kind of different recipes and stuff for throughout the week. Cause I don't, the reason I was like not meal prepping was because I don't want to make a bunch of like chicken burrito bowls and then eat chicken burrito bowls for eight days straight. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I do, man. <laughs> yeah. and I just, I can't, I can't eat the redundancy. So like now I might smoke like, you know, some, you know, pork or something like that. And then maybe one day I have like pork tacos. And then the next day I have like pork with, you know, just some broccoli or, you know, with some vegetables on the side. And so like, even though I'm eating the same, like actual kind of main dish, it's different to me than just having like chicken burrito bowl followed by chicken burrito bowl tomorrow, <laughs> you know? So ta- talk me through a little bit, like the, the taste or texture of the meat compared to like grilling it on low and then compared to like a crock pot, like it was somewhere like in the middle of that, but just like, I yeah. Don't know, it, it, and it all depends on like what you want to do with it. So like, um, I think for me, just having like, if you want to prepare meat in like a set it, forget it, you can leave the house and do whatever you want in the crock pot. I think that's like, an, that's, it's perfect. So or like, yeah, yeah it's so easy. And it's so low maintenance that you can do so many different things at once, right? Like you could, you can get your rice in there and your, and all, you know, you don't really have to like do separate steps. Yeah. Grilling, grilling on low. I think you don't, you just don't really get like the smoky flavor to it. And, and I think it gets to be more like temperamental in terms of like keeping your meat, your, like the meat moist, kind of mm-hmm. like getting it nice and, you know, juicy for when you're eating it. And I think the, the smoker is like the easiest thing ever. If you're going to do like ribs or something like that, just throw them on, you know, you don't have to do anything for five hours or then just like whatever steps you want to, you could do nothing and it would be fine. But like I go out and I just put like some apple juice on them more so because uh-huh. I want to feel like I did something. You know? <laughs> like, you know, it's like, somebody could probably give me some that I did something to and I didn't and maybe it tastes the same. But like I like to go out there and, you know, get some apple juice on them, get a little dry rub on them, do, uh, you know, do a little bit of some basting with a little bit of barbecue sauce and, you know, kind of some stuff like that. That just like oh my I think it's God. more of the. It's probably more. It's probably more the art than the science, but <laughs> I don't think it's good I, that I we're think, doing this right at lunchtime right now. I know. I know. <laughs> the next time we have you on, you're gonna have to cook for us now. Hey, that sounds good. Maybe we'll all be uh, actually together again. It'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wouldn't that be nice? When did you start? When did you start cooking? Like actually, not just like throwing things in the microwave. Like actually appreciating how to cook, or where did you learn? Is there a background to that, or not really? Uh, no, I would say my best cooking guide is Pinterest <laughs> to be well, honest. I, I, yeah, I, I try a bunch of different stuff from there. The, um, I probably started to enjoy cooking more when my wife and I got married, mostly because, uh, I think cooking for just like yourself is probably a little bit less satisfactory. Like I just, 
I wasn't going to go out of my way to cook like a big meal and then eat it by myself. Or now like my wife and I'll enjoy like some ribs or, you know, or, you know, pork loin or something like that together. And maybe it's a little bit better. Um, and then actually when I really started to enjoy it was, uh, after I graduated PT school, because, uh, between the end of PT school and the start of residency, there's kind of a dead period because you're waiting to get licensed and, uh, you know, be able to practice, uh, you know, autonomously and everything. So I kind of had from May because I took my boards in April. So I had from May until basically the end of July to kind of get life in order as far as living situation and stuff like that. But I also had just a ton of time to cook. So I was like, my job was basically like, I'd wake up in the morning. I had like a coaching job in the morning and then I'd work out in the afternoon. I'd come home and I'd start dinner and we'd go from there. So I was kind of cooking dinner like five, six nights a week for myself. And then we were actually living with my mother-in-law at the time as well. So I was kind of cooking for three, which made, which made it a little bit more fun too. It's way easier to cook, but also to buy groceries when there's multiple people. Because buying for yourself, you always buy too much, and then you like end up throwing things away, and you don't want to do that. And then the same thing with the effort into a big meal. You're not going to make a meal that has like five or six different parts and just eat it yourself. And then, because you're not going to want to eat it like five days in a row or eight days in a row, like you said, either. So once you get other people involved, it definitely helps. Um, but yeah. Do you, do you eat a lot different than you did, uh, like in PT school or before when you were playing hockey? Uh, I think it, it came in waves. Like when I was playing, I obviously cared a lot more about my performance. So I was trying to watch what I was eating and I always had an issue with keeping weight on. So I was eating just a lot more, like my metabolism was a lot higher. I was, you know, I, I playing a sport like hockey, I was requiring a lot of calories and things like that. And then when kind of, you know, life changes and you get just into college and things like that, I think it definitely came down to more of like, I was just kind of more eating to survive, not surviving to eat kind of thing. Uh, and now that I've, uh, I have more than me, I mean, you start making money again too. That's a big part of it is, you know, when you're, when you get into your career, now you have money to not worry about the fact that I want to keep this meal under $5 or something like that, you know? <laughs> and so uh, now I would say it's kind of come full circle to me trying to eat a lot more quality and, and things like that. Partially I'll give credit to Corbo cause I know, you know, if you guys have maybe talked about his diet, like he's, he's super regimented. He, you know, he eats everything as, you know, as clean as possible and, and everything too. And I think it's been good to be able to pick his brain and just say like, you know, what's good, what's bad. And, and I, I always make him, uh, you'll have to give him a hard time. I always make him scale my food from zero to 10. It's like, <laughs> what is the, you know, what is this? And, and his, uh, his zero as a meter is, is soda. And, and yeah. his 10 is like the perfect food, like, you know, two ingredients or something like that. <laughs> right. Okay. I like that. I like that scale. Yeah. He's the most locked in I've ever seen. I called him the other day and he's like, Tom, I really apologize. I have my 10, 15 snack. I'm just going to munch on it. But like, tell me your story. Like we were talking about something PT related. And I was like, wow, you are. And he was having like, he makes his own like RX bars, like from home, kind of self-made. And uh, he's super locked in, and which, which is just super fun to talk to him about because it just makes you a better person if you're around that all day. Like if he's, yeah, if he's eating soda and like, 
pre-made meals and a bunch of garbage, like you're probably going to eat that stuff too. But if he's really locked in with his health and you're working with them every day, same thing when like with your wife or if you're living with your mother-in-law or if you're around your family and friends, whatever they do, you're going to replicate that. So try to find those people that have the same goals and desires and, and cooking skills that you do. Oh, absolutely. He, uh, he has a 340 snack too. So if you're ever going to call make sure it's like after 350 or, or you can end it before 340. <laughs> Jeez, that is dialed, man. Oh yeah. He's, he's, and you know what, I'll give him credit. Cause it's, uh, it's impressive. He's, he's really good about like giving himself. And I mean, you, you know, like these, these like breaks and you guys know throughout the day when you're, when you're seeing patients kind of back to back to back, like he's actually built in periods in his schedule where he just has like a 10 minute break. So like, you know, he might, I, I don't, you know, I know it's three forty. So he has a patient from, you know, three to three forty on our 40 minute time schedule. And then his next patient starts at three fifty. So awesome. he actually, he builds in like a 10 minute mental rest that he takes to just kind of, you know, cause your afternoon gets long. You, you, you kind of get that one o'clock start and then you're just pushing through until the end of your day. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he gets a little 10 minute rest where he goes and has a snack and, and kind of hangs out. And we, we usually end up kind of, you know, talking about something cause my schedule mirrors his. So I would have the 10 minute break as well. And so it was kind of a fun time to, you know, just take a little watering hole break, if you will. Like, we, we don't we don't have the uh, proverbial water jug at, at the clinic, but we definitely we could talk sports or whatever. <laughs> did you start building in your snack at 340? I did. I did. Uh, and so it was funny because, <laughs> I mean, the first question that pops up is is obviously I, I know what he's eating because it's the same thing every single day. But he would always be like, what'd you bring for a snack? You know? <laughs> Oh man, what, I copied that. I actually copied for? that. Yeah, well, what's, what's your snack or his snack? Sorry, his snack is well, he has that RX bar and then he has a protein shake. Okay, respect. I, I copied his schedule for a while because I, I didn't know you could do that. So, and I work 10 hour days, and those days get long if you go like four or five hours without a break. So, I put a 10 minute break uh, in the afternoon, and it makes a huge difference because. Your your other no time, it's still pretty long, or your lunch, it's it's not cut off that much, but uh, it really breaks up the day. And we all know, like going like super long periods of time without a break is not good for your production, for your creativity, and for your energy. So if the patient comes in and they're like the seventh one you've seen in a row, they're not gonna get as good as care. So I'm glad you guys are are taking those breaks, getting those snacks, and do you ever bring something like? Like Doritos or Snickers, anything like that? <laughs> we, uh, I, I haven't, but I've, I'm not afraid to have a little bit of chocolate. Like he's, you know, this is kind of a funny thing with him too, but he's so dialed in on his diet that he has a bite of chocolate to end his like lunch. It's literally a bite. Like he, he breaks off a piece and has like a little bit. And so I'm not afraid to every now and again, mix in like, you know, a Reese's peanut butter cup or something like that as a little, uh, you know, good job, Jeremy. If you, you know, maybe on a Friday, a little reward. Yeah. But we would, uh, we would always joke with him that he actually goes home and just eats like Doritos, <laughs> pizza. Like, you know, he goes home and immediately throws like a TV dinner in the uh, microwave and warms it up. Like, it, it, I think he, uh, he gets a kick out of that. <laughs> oh man. What? Oh, uh, man. So, so what's your workout been like? 
as you've been a little bit semi-quarantined, quasi-quarantined? Yeah, I uh, I actually haven't been strength training as much, which is which has actually been I think a kind of a fun little adjustment. Like I've been uh, going out for like runs, and we have a spin bike, so I've been like spinning on the bike and stuff like that, which has been uh, like kind of a fun adjustment because it's something my wife and I can actually like do together too. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've actually been really enjoying like getting out for just some runs because the weather is nicer and it, it gives us a reason to get out of the house. Uh, we don't have any like quote unquote, like strength equipment at our place. Um, so weightlifting, I mean, you can be really creative as far as like using backpacks with, you know, with books and, and things like that. And I think there's definitely some validity to that. Um, I just, I just haven't done it. We've kind of just tried to get out and have a routine as far as like what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. And I think it's actually been good just from a fun thing that we can do together and kind of explore our area a little bit on foot. For sure. For working out, for working out, I hate anything over like six reps. So like 30 reps of like a bodyweight squat, I just, I just don't want to do it at all. So I'll find like the, like we have a couple kettlebells here. So I'll try to make it like as hard as possible. Um, but like, like you, Ike, I'm doing, like I'm going to the park more. Um, they have like a pull up, they have like the monkey bars. So I'll do like pull ups on there and I'll just like spend more time, like start golfing a little bit, like shooting baskets outside. I gotta, I gotta do more sprints. It's, uh, the weather's just been so on and off here, but I gotta get outside and do more sprints and really exploring more of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's an adjustment for everybody. And I can't imagine being a high level athlete right now and trying to make it work at home if you if you're used to that routine and you don't have access to that stuff now yeah i i think that has to be the single most difficult thing to try and like program in because i mean creativity is one thing right like you want to be as creative as you can to keep the athlete as engaged as you can and keep tissues in as best shape that you can so that when they are returning you know we're not worried you know there's going to be an inherent increase in injuries right but we you know we want to try and attenuate that as best we can and i think it's really hard when you talk about like athlete buy-in like all all these athletes want to be strong and want to be good but like it's also really really difficult to try and maintain a balance of like these are things that are helpful and and how they can make that fit into what they have at home because everybody's going to have something different at home too so it's like so individually based even more than you would do at the gym. It's really hard too for people living in apartments. I like I saw it was some gymnast. She lives in New York City on like the twelfth floor of an apartment. And it's like, what is she supposed to even do? Like she can't even go like the parks are closed. Like she can't even go to the park and do and it's all sidewalk. Like every individual has has a challenge right now. And it mm-hmm. uh, I really feel for them, especially if you're like a junior in high school. Cause I think that's always like the time where you get serious about trying to play in college or trying to play the next level, whether it's juniors or college or or whatever. And you have the time now to do the things you really want to do to get better, but you don't have the resources that you did six months ago. So any, and obviously if you're a professional sport, college athlete, it's super hard as well. Um, but I just feel for all those kids who want to get better and, and they're just limited to what they have at their house. And, so, and some kids, we'll find out. We'll find out which kids made it work. 
and which teams and coaches like made it the best they could and which other ones just kind of like, Oh, like we can't do it our way. So we're just not going to do much and hope for the best. I think, I think on the other side of that though, is that a huge positive is the time of year that this happened during, because if this was, if it was January right now, kids would legit not be able to do much of anything. Um, so I think the fact that like for most athletes, I mean, if you're a junior in high school and you go to the park and do a few sprints or some jumps or like explosive stuff, um, they should be able to maintain decently well with that. Obviously there's, there's a lot you can do without weights, but I mean, if this was winter time, like people would be toast like that, that'd be very tough. And then, um, or at least, sorry, I guess up North. Um, but I, I think that, that would be an interesting like case study of if this did happen during the winter time, like how the Southern States, uh, like high school athletics, comp- uh, compared to the Northern States high school athletics, you know, like that differential would get so much bigger. I, and I think I'm sure you guys are doing the same thing. I'm probably most excited about if like the NBA or NHL actually does like finish their season. I'm probably most interested in how they ramp up yeah. because, 100%. because there, you know, if there was a period of time where just inherently because I follow the NHL a little bit closer, uh, some of the athletes were saying like, this could be the best playoff season of all time because everybody's going to be well rested you know, everybody's going to be fresh. We're all going to be feeling good because, you know, we didn't think at the beginning of this, that we'd be this, this far into it. Right. You always kind of think like, hopefully it's back. Hopefully it's back. Well, now I think that it's been this long. People are starting to get like, all right, well, we need to have like a, a really good ramp up period or there's going to be a ton of injuries. So I I'm really interested to see what they lay out for guidelines as far as uh, how they want to, in the professional population, what period of time they're going to give them to ramp up, what they're going to do from workouts is going to be really interesting. If, if we can figure that out from, from strength coaches and, and, you know, there's therapists in the area and things like that. And, and just how they're going to ramp up to try and attenuate injury risk. I just thought of this. Have you heard anything for NHL players having any access to ice? So they're, uh, I think they're looking at opening up their team facilities and things like that. Right. Uh, I think the hard part is that it's so like state based and right. obviously these are like so far spread out. I, I don't think that there's anything right at this moment, but I do know that they have like assembled a, uh, like return to hockey, essentially group that's comprised of, you know, medical staff, GMs, uh, some of the more experienced players and things like that, uh, as far as how they're going to go back to the team facilities and things like that. I think their goal, or at least the last goal that I heard was that the player, they want the players to be prepared to be back in their cities by the middle of May. Now that could change from an hour ago. I'm not sure, but that was their, that was their goal. That's coming pretty soon. Right. So we're talking, I mean, middle of May is in seven days. Who, who knows when it'll actually happen, but that was kind of their goal. Yeah, I think that brings up an interesting point, especially for hockey, where since it is state by state, like, I don't know, like you can't have one team go back before another team. Obviously, it has to be system-wide. Otherwise, there's a huge unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's unprecedented times for sure. 
and and not only is it state by state, but it's country by country, right? There's teams in Canada. Yeah. So so they they have to somehow find a way to agree that you know these Canadian teams and the U.S. teams can somehow be on some sort of level playing field. Of course, there'll be probably ways, and and of course the teams will look for it as ways to get a little bit of an edge if they can. So I mean, they're all going to want to do it as safely as possible. But you know, like you said, it's going to be it's going to come down to kind of what you can come up with and who kind of comes up with the best plan that it pans out. I'm sure some of these guys are like back home in Russia or um, just like across the world a little bit and getting them to, like you said, country by country, having them like fly back to the U.S. to do like abbreviated playoffs when there's so much unknown. It's it, there's so many hurt. It's it'd be so hard to make a decision because there's so many variables at play. Mm-hmm. And you have to respect somebody's right to be fearful of that too, right? Like you have to be understanding of like, yeah, you're being paid a lot of money to come play your sport. But at the same time, if you have fear of this actually really affecting your health and, and, and having a big impact on your potential earnings down the road, if, if it wipes you out, uh, I think there's some validity to that too. So there's going to be a lot of balancing going on that, as we alluded to right at the beginning there, uh, it's probably better that somebody else is making these decisions <laughs> and that we don't have, we don't have the pressure of the world on our shoulders. Yeah, exactly. Since we're talking about uh, programming and how you'd ramp up for the uh, professional season and everything, I did want to dive in a little bit. I know last time that we talked with you and Corvo, um, we got into programming just like slightly. It was at the end of the show as we were kind of signing off. Um, but I'm just curious, like where where your head's at lately with programming or things you've been doing different with clients or yourself or anything like that. Yeah, I think actually one of the blessing of disguises from from this whole like pause button is the residency, you know, as you guys know, is really jam packed with things that you're doing on a day to day basis, on a weekend basis. So you don't really have a lot of time to just like sit down and digest information. And so we kind of had like a three week period of doing a ton of didactic work, which has, which was great and really introduced us to a bunch of different therapists as well. So it's been fun to kind of pick their brain and see, you know, what they're doing from, you know, like you said, a a performance standpoint or a programming standpoint, things like that. And so there's like different things that I'd like to, I want to implement into what I'm doing with my patients. And I think programming is going to be one of those things, especially with my longer term post-op patients. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as therapists, something that probably you guys see and, and probably have some level of frustration with as well is I think I always have this like really great idea of what I want to do with a patient and how I want to get them going. And then for whether it be insurance or whether it be the fact that we, you know, we can't, get to see them as long as we want to, or we just don't have as much control as maybe we'd like to have. It ends up being maybe like I get to implement half or three quarters of my plan. And then the other fourth that maybe would be in my opinion, helpful to their performance gets kind of lagged behind. And so now what I've been doing is really trying to create some sort of, you know, template in my mind of, all right, if, if this patient, you know, if I was going to see an ACL, this is how I would rehab them. These are some considerations that I want to start to be mindful of 
uh, in terms of like the nuances of maybe how their sport is or, or how they train or, or where they're at maybe in a continuum of getting back to their sport and then being able to kind of have a, a more well laid up plan. I, th- I think that comes with mentoring because you take on a lot of what your mentor does and, and things like that. And what, you know, what John does and, and John is kind of my sounding board, especially with ACL stuff, just because he sees so many of them, mm-hmm. but I've definitely taken time to kind of be very thoughtful about what I'm doing as far as programming and, and how I'm hoping to implement it at least when we sometime get to see one another again. Yeah, that, that's a good point where it's, it's usually you have this vision of how it's going to go. And then based on the number of visits or missing visits or what they can realistically do at home or follow through, or just so many factors, uh, it usually doesn't quite go as quite as planned, but that's, I mean, that's why we do what we do. If it was just a blanket approach, it'd be, it'd be far too easy. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sweet, man. I think it's, it's definitely something that, um, again, going back to just utilizing this time, like I'm really glad that you're using it to build out those mental templates and like think through these things versus just being like, well, we'll, we'll address it once we're back, you know? Um, cause I think for people in our profession, there is, just such like a a vast pool of knowledge and like philosophies and things out there. But like when you're actually in the nitty gritty of the day to day, you don't have a ton of time to take in new stuff. So you kind of like implement what you know. And, you know, obviously there's creativity that comes along the way and each different patient, you're able to modify things and learn more, but it's nice to just like get back to the didactic side a little bit, like you alluded to and like pick up new ideas. Cause I feel like over these last couple of weeks, I've learned so many new things that like, I'm excited to try to start implementing them more, you know? Yeah. And I think the, one of the fun things that I've really noticed about uh, some of like the quote unquote, like new things that I've learned is just, if you do the basics really, really, really well, all the other stuff is going to be kind of that icing on top. Right. So a lot of what I've even been building out is just making sure like, all right, have really good, check-ins or really good things that you're looking at objectively take one objective thing and tell you know out until that objective thing matters no longer find another objective thing that matters follow that out until that no longer matters and 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 have a why behind what you're doing in terms of how you're approaching it and and just trying to really build in good basics and then let the nuances be the nuances that you can tweak for the patient A very simple example of that is I used to forget to tell patients I would like print off their exercises and give them the instructions. So like while we're going through them initially, they would just be like concerned about memorizing like every detail. And then they'd be all worried. Like, are you going to give these to me? And I'm like, oh yeah, like of of course I will. And then that like flipped at some point and I would just say right away, like, I'll give you pictures of all these. I'll give you instructions. We can go over them again this time, next time you can email me whenever, call me whenever. And then we really got to focusing on like what was important, which were the exercises. So that's like a very simple thing where cover like the, the instructions, like the greeting, like making sure they, their voice is heard. And then the rest of the session is going to go so much easier that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think the um, the other thing that I've kind of taken on, and this ne- doesn't necessarily have to do specifically with programming. I know the, the fun part about last time with the programming was 
you and John had such different approaches to it. And I think that makes for a really fun discussion because, you know, at the end of the day, as long as the outcome is good, the outcome is good. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's a, a hundred different ways to, to cut a pie. And I think for me, the, the other thing that I've really spent a lot of time on is my testing and making sure that when we do return, that I have good objectives that I want to be hitting and, and that are, are research-based and then allowing my bias to be a little bit of my bias too because I think there is definitely an art to what we do uh, to, to have those tests be important to me and to make sure that I'm, I'm kind of hitting those nuances. Yeah, I, think, I mean, that's huge is like the, the test retest. And um, that's something that I definitely learned over the course of those first couple of years in PT. Like if you're not testing and getting that objective data, which I like, I didn't because your head is so full with like other things you want to do and trying to like uh, make sure you have the diagnosis right and address it the right way and give them the right exercise that you kind of like forget about, okay, we need to test and see if this is working or not and have that objectivity to it. Um, but yeah, that, that was we got to do a, a four-way call at some point here and get John back on here because that was that was uh, a great conversation. And it's something that um, I thought a lot more about. And I, I think it's – I think the differentiator in my mind is rehab versus, like, training, right? Because they're, they're very similar, but they're just slightly different phases of where you're at with that person. So, like, with rehab, I think – because the argument was essentially mixed methods versus like block training, right? Yep. Um, yep. And I think I think with rehab, mixed methods works because the person is generally like post-op or post-injury where they're kind of like any new stimulus to their nervous system, they're going to be able to adapt to. Um, and it doesn't take a ton of directed stress. So like, obviously that your body's going to adapt to the stress that it's exposed to. And I think when somebody is detrained or in rehab, you're able to like take advantage of that more. Whereas I feel like in training, in my mind, block training is superior. Like I, I, in training, like an athlete, I don't see them as equal. I see block training as superior, but again, that's based on where the athlete is at. So I think that's where, where the slip up was last time. And I'd love to get his and your take on it as far as like training versus rehab. Um, Cause I think of it like when I was maybe like a sophomore in high school and I got my first gym membership, Midtown fitness, shout out St. Cloud. And <laughs> you, you start working out and like, no matter what you do, those first four, six, eight weeks, like you see progress. Right. And then people always talk about like the plateau. And I feel like a big part of that plateau is you're not changing the stress that you're applying to the body. And you're just kind of sticking with that same thing. So, um, again, I think I think it, it depends on the level of the individual you're working with. And I just think for athletic performance, you need more of that directed stress in a high enough capacity to get that athlete to the next level. Yeah, I definitely think that there's there's definitely a difference between training and rehab. And I think, you know, that in the perfect world, right? We would have control over what our athletes are doing mm-hmm. more often than we do, especially in a rehab standpoint. And uh, really, I, I think of rehab as like the training camp of a season. I want to get you to the point that 
I know that we've reduced your injury risk as low as we can. And then now you can get into, like you were saying, we can focus on doing a needs analysis and saying you need to get blank. Whether that means you need to get faster, whether that means you need to be stronger, whether that means you need to be bigger for whatever your needs are. And then we can kind of address that Mm -hmm. when it gets to that point. And then on top of that, having them, every sport is a skill, right? So it's like, um, I know using, using a guitar is a really good example of kind of like being a musician, right? Like if you don't practice playing guitar, you don't get better at playing guitar, right? So like if you, you know, getting strong in the weight room is important, but you still have to practice your skill to get better at your skill. That's, that's just how it works. And so I think there's like a lot of kind of, I think of it almost as like rehab is kind of the, the preseason training camp. Once you get there, we decide, you know, in, in your training, once you're kind of really just trying to get better at your sport, but you're healthy, that's where we kind of get into your needs analysis. And then, of course, when you're doing that, we have to make sure that you're still practicing your skill and making sure that you're getting better at what it is that you really want to achieve. 100%. And yeah, it's, it's so sport specific because it's like at the highest level, you think of Usain Bolt and it's like he's not the strongest sprinter there is. Like there's some huge jack sprinters that I promise you are squatting more or cleaning more, or deadlifting more, but he's the fastest man in the world. So it's like you need you need the strength and the power and the explosiveness and everything like that to a certain degree based on your sport and based on your body type. Um, so I, I 100% agree. It, it just has to be, I mean, to a degree individualized. Oh, for sure. And it's, at some point you like, I always get in this wrestling match with myself and, uh, I know Mike Boyle talks about it too, is like, at some point you're, you're actually in the gym, you're testing their physiology. You're, you know, you're not testing like, they're, they're how good they are at their sport. You know, there's, you could take any sport and be like, well, yeah, this, this person, you know, think about even, we talked about the Michael Jordan documentary. He didn't even work out for a period of time. I'm sure there were plenty of guys who are much stronger and, and, you know, physical freaks in the gym, but you put them on a basketball court and Michael Jordan's better. So I think, you you know, (laughs) so you're doing what you have to, you know, do in terms of making them stronger and trying to tweak those things to maybe turn up this dial a little bit or, or turn up that dial a little bit. But at the end of the day, like you said, it's, it's going to be really individualized and how we approach it with each individual. I love what you said about using the gym as like testing their physiology, because that's the same thing. Um, I can't remember, Tom, maybe, you know, a few episodes ago, we had a a guest from TFC on and we were talking about um, why the 40, 40 yard sprint times matter, because like that is an assessment of your nervous system and like how explosive you can go. So even though in basketball and in volleyball and sports like that you don't have straight line running where you're going to be running 40 yards in a row like it's a test of your nervous system's ability to be super explosive so it's still like very relevant where stuff in the weight room it's still super relevant to a point because you're testing the physiology i got i never i love that that use of that i was just taking this online course the other day and in back-to-backs like uh paragraphs this uh, speed coach said you can use dumbbells like in your training, but like you'll never use those on the field, but like you shouldn't sprint 40 yards because you'll never do that on the field. And I'm like, 
how you can't have like both of those. Like obviously you'll never use dumbbells in your sport. And like, yes, maybe you don't run 40 yards straight, but that doesn't mean it's not applicable the same way like an external load would be too. So I kind of scratched my head when you said those back to back. I'm like, it seems a little bit um, kind of foolish to say, because yeah, obviously you're not going to like run 40 yards in a straight line with no one around you, but it's to like raise the bar of where your physiology is and to change your nervous system. So when you do have to do like a sprint or a cut or a jump or avoid a defender or skate past somebody, you have the, the ability to do that at a higher level. Um, so it's always interesting when, when we get into these like logic arguments, because logically you could talk me out of like, Oh, you should never sprint more than like a couple feet or a couple meters or whatever, because you're never gonna do that in games. Like, well, yeah, that does make sense from that standpoint. But we're looking at like the nervous system and training that we need to get to top end speed. And you can't do that within like five yards. You need like a little bit of a build up too. Um, so that stuff always interests me when, especially on social media, because it's everything's tried to be like black and white. It's like, like you're right. If you do this, you're wrong. If you do that. And it's like, it's really not like, it's so much more of that gray area, that context. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love listening to, to Mike Boyle because he's really blunt about stuff, but he's also like the goal of this is to make you better at your sport. And we want to like minimize everything we can into those specific things that are going to make you better your sport. Um, and I think sometimes we get away from that, whether in rehab or training, we get caught up in these goals, like how much can you squat or, um, you know, things of that nature, things that don't necessarily apply to what you actually want to do. Mm. And I think sometimes I know, um, especially like when you're, when you're young in your career, like I am, I'm trying to be so, so research based. Like I want to be doing the best thing that I can be doing for my patient that has some science behind it. And I think this actually, this whole thing, as far as, you know, talking about kind of that self-reflection, looking back at what we've done in the first period of time and, and trying to make it better is I do want to add in as I gain a little bit more confidence and, and have a little bit more of an N underneath my belt for, from just a patient number standpoint to, to have a little bit of that art in terms of, you know what, maybe this isn't exactly what I would hold up in a research study and say like this works, but sometimes for this patient, it might be the right thing. And it's worth going down that rabbit hole, I think to, to an extent. Yeah, I, th I think I'm glad you said that. I feel the same way where it's like, you know, fresh out of school, you're trying to do everything evidence based. And obviously, like, that's that's what we preach heavily is evidence based. But it there is that it's like using your education, using logic, using um, anecdote, honestly, um, and the research and kind of blending it all together in a big stew. And then that's what helps you to be more of an expert in the field is like if you just if you just 100 go based on what the research shows first of all you're probably going to find a lot of conflicting evidence based on who did the study and different things like that but also like why would somebody like pay you money like you need to like think critically you need to like make changes to it otherwise 
like a monkey can like figure out the research says this, this is what we do, period. Like it's just a protocol, you just go forward with it. So I think in my mind, like like you said, the art form or the critical thinking aspect of it is like taking the background knowledge, taking even just like how something feels. Like I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for whether you're a PT or a trainer or whatever, like do the exercises yourself and see how they feel because it's going to help you cue it better and it's going to help you better understand like, oh, if we made this modification or like, you know, had the knee go past the toe here or turn this, like, you know what I mean? Like there's so many different modifications you can make to make the body move differently. Um, I just think that that's such an important piece that sometimes I feel like our profession pigeonholes itself into being too evidence-based where we don't allow freedom and flexibility and like creative thought. And my favorite part about what you're saying with trying exercise is like, this is just too hard. <laughs> like if there's, if there's like, you know, I got to get, you know, I have to have a strap on this knee. I got to have this arm doing this at this time and, and really just stripping it down to the basics. Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to make the quad stronger? Well then let's make the quad stronger. <laughs> or like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this exercise and like, Oh, this, you know, this is like really hard for me. Well, I'm healthy. Like, you know, I, can you imagine what this feels like to the patient who, who isn't right? So yeah. I think that's a really good, uh, really good measuring stick for a lot of different exercises and a lot of different thought processes too. My favorite things to try are things that have very low risk, like either with time or money. So like sending someone to MRI just to like get a picture of their shoulder. It's like, you have to think about that because there's like a heavy financial cost to it. Whereas if you want them like spend 10 minutes of their session trying this like new balance exercise, like it's worth trying because maybe like it really helps with their dizziness and they feel a lot better and it, it takes 10 minutes, you know? Um, so like the time and the money part, because some people be like, Oh, like it's not that expensive, but yeah, but if we have to do it like over six visits and we don't get any progress and there's no research to support it, like we're wasting the patient's time because they deserve better care. And the same thing with the money too, where it's like, oh, like I really need to get this procedure done or I need to get this image. And it's like, no, you don't, because regardless if it says something's torn or something's off or irritated, we're going to do the same things in therapy anyways. So I always like trying like new, like little things that don't take very long, but like, and the research might not specifically say, oh, if you do this overhead reach exercise, it's going to help their mid back pain. But if you do it and it helps and takes two minutes, it's absolutely worth trying and experimenting and forming that area of expertise where you you learn by doing. And especially in therapy and rehab and training, the more you do, the more you realize, okay, like this doesn't work all the time, but when I see this specific patient, I can throw it in and it might make a difference. It might not, and we'll move on. Um, but I definitely think the, the more, and it's not like I'm this like veteran therapist either. I'm, I'm only a couple, <laughs> I'm only a couple of years out, but even in that time, you just realize like, I can try something new, especially if the, you get along with the patient super well and they're doing everything super well. It's like, I'm going to throw this in today. We'll see how it goes. And maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But if you never try anything new or like untested, then you're just going to be like a robot following everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you said that, Tom. I want to just reiterate that because I don't know that we've necessarily, like, we talk about a lot. I don't know that we've necessarily, like, laid it out on the podcast before of just taking into consider, like, everything in life is risk-reward, right? Like, absolutely everything. 
Like, why would you not go to the casino if you're going to win every single time? Like, clearly, <laughs> you know? So, like, it's when you set, like, time and money and, like, the risk associated with it and the potential reward from it, like, that's huge. Because if you do something and, it, like you said, it takes a couple minutes and it's not beneficial, but you know for a fact it's not going to cause more harm, like, why not try it? Um, so I, I just wanted to capitalize on you saying that because I felt like that was really well put. I say that all the time to coworkers and patients. So they're all probably sick of me hearing that, but I haven't, I don't think I've, we've talked about it on the podcast. So I'm glad I got to bring it up. And that really comes down to, it also comes down to what are you comfortable with? If you're like a high risk, high reward patient, you're going to have a different approach to what you want to try and not try versus someone who's super conservative. They want to minimize all risk. And the, the more you can relate to the patient and understand where they're at with those things, it's going to determine what you can try with them versus trying to stick to the book. And you and you get a good good idea of that the more you read people. It's like, all right, this person's like willing to try something new, out of the box, different. Let's go for it today versus someone who's not. And I think that's just as important. Yeah, I think even you can use that to educate patients. Like, you know, if their goal is I want to be back playing in X amount of time and you know, from your clinical reasoning, your tissue healing standpoint, like that's not a good idea. You can't, you know, you, you can, but you can't be like, you know, I think it's, you cannot do that. I'm going to make this decision for you. You cannot do it because at the end of the day, they can, if they want to, mm-hmm. but what you can do is educate them on, okay, your risk is here. If you give it X amount of time more, you've now decreased that risk where you're now at a lower chance of probably missing time again, because you went back too early and and you're at this, but then that risk reward changes is, well, it's the week before state. Uh, I need to make it through a weekend and then I have plenty of time to recover. Well, maybe we're having a completely different conversation then, right. Or, you know, the week before playoffs or what have you. And, And I, and I think that is what you see in all athletics of at the end of the year, there's like a laundry list of people who are having, you know, surgery and, and then who knows how long the list is even on top of that of how many people are going through rehab to just try and get something to get back to avoiding a surgical intervention or something like that after the season. And so I think that's a really fun way to discuss it with patients. And I think it really resonates with them because if you can equate like this is how much money you have. If you do this, you have this much more, this much less. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense to make it applicable in that regard. What? Yeah, I'm gonna put you on that. That uh, that's something that like I think is so valuable when you start realizing that. Like, I love that you brought that up because when you go in and you're able to kind of assess like their personal profile of like what is most important to them, because like you said, if it's a senior and they have one more basketball game and they just sprained their ankle two days ago, it's like, no, you shouldn't play on it. But, like, if this is going to be your last game and you're not, like, playing in college, wrap it up tight and go play, man. Like, mm-hmm. at, at a certain point, it's just – that's what I've been doing a lot more of is, like, when you go in the room, when it's an eval, assess, like, okay, you know, what's going on? Obviously, finding, figuring out diagnosis and all that. But also, like you said, what is the risk-reward? What do you want to be able to get to? What are your goals? And – taking that into account because the advice is so variable, like you said, dependent on the person and dependent on their needs of playing. It's like, 
hey, I might be more risky than you. I might be more conservative than you. If it were me, this is what I would probably do. Like if I had one game left in my basketball career and I had a bum ankle, like I promise you I'm playing. I'm just going to wrap it up really tight and enjoy the experience and then deal with the repercussions afterwards. But like the next person might not handle it the same way. So like I'm not going to tell you how to respond. I'm just going to give you the facts of like, here's the risk. Like you, like you used money. I love that analogy. And it's like, here could be the outcome. But like, I'm not a dictator. I'm not going to tell you what you're doing. Right. Exactly. When you're giving advice like that, you have to, and I know it's a combination of these two, but do you give advice more as like the former, or I guess you're still a current athlete. We're all athletes, but as a former like competitive athlete that you were, or more from like the professional therapist that you are, like which lens do you use more of when you're talking to an athlete trying to get back to their sport quicker than than they might seem uh, safe to. I try to be as objective as I can. Yep. But I think it's really difficult when, you know, you, you start to play into the scenarios because it makes you think of like, you know, this is what really matters to them. And sometimes I think it's even furthermore so of like, is this how kind of they define themselves? Because I think we know as athletes, how, you know, when, when we're all growing up and we're playing a certain sport or whatever, you define yourself as like, oh, I'm a basketball player. I am a hockey player. I am a su- such and such athlete. And so I think um, I, I just try to be really, really objective about it as best that I can. So I would say more of I, I've tried to transition to the therapist role and, and not be in the athlete mode because I think every athlete, at, at least for the most part, especially if they're playing at a high level, they want to go. If you say, if you give them the option to go, they're going to go. But if you give them the option of, all right, if you do go, the risk is the fact that you suffer, you know, I use the exact example of a sprained ankle. Well, if you do go, you're risking re-injuring your ankle and it may be being worse than this time. And, and, you know, this is where we're going to end up if we go down that, that trail, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I just try to be very objective with them, especially if if it's very like abundantly obvious in a testing scenario where it's like, you know, you don't have any range of motion because you're so swollen. Like, how do you think that's going to affect how you perform? Or if like they can't even raise their arm up, like how do you think how do you think you can shoot a basketball if you can't lift your arm higher than your hip? <laughs> you know, like, and, and so I think that actually resonates a lot with athletes of like, you know, if you can't do this and then you expect to make something that is not dynamic, more dynamic and get better at it, it's probably not going to happen in, in a very good fashion. And I think that resonates pretty well with them. Will you bring in your personal experience playing sports to create buy-in from the athlete too? And if you do, do you think that helps or are there times when, Cause I see it both ways. I see it's like, all right, this guy played hockey at a pretty high level. He's a pretty competitive athlete. Like he gets me, but I can also see it as like, oh, like he's this, you know, not that you're washed up, but you're like this, <laughs> like he, he doesn't play anymore. I Dang, like, Tom I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't no, worry. I, I think it's, uh, it's all in reading the individual. And I, I think, I mean, that's probably a very like cop out answer. But I think that's probably what makes uh, a good therapist a great therapist is having the soft skills to be able to read, especially, 
I think it matters in, in all of, uh, you know, configurations of therapy, but in athletes, when you're trying to help them make a return to play decision, I think it matters even more because at the end of the day, you know, sports are a choice. I think we forget that sometimes nobody's forcing anybody to play an athletic event. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times it's their passion. That's what they want to do. And so uh, I think I, I will at times certainly use personal experience or teammates experiences or even, um, you know, other other teammates on their team's experiences. If, if they're, you know, if, if the team's kind of, if we're working in a team environment, if you will, um, to, to try and help them out or to uh, even use a little bit of kind of some psychology, if you will, to try and help them through the injury. But um, I, I think it's definitely patient dependent. I do agree sports are a choice, but do you think for a certain amount of population, sports are essential to having like a happy and fulfilled life? And I'm not saying like 1%, I'm saying like 40 to 60% of the population where it's like, watching sports, going to sporting events, playing sports, talking about sports. Like it's not the like basic level of living, but it's essential to like a full and complete life. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, and I think if there's one, you know, we've kind of talked about the pros and cons of where we're at as far as the coronavirus and, and kind of being pulled back a little bit. If there's one thing that I hope that not only physical therapy, but you know, other health fields and hopefully the general public, it's getting better, but I hope that mental health and how people use different things to uh, maybe fulfill uh, an area or a void in their life is really brought to light in terms of, I think, to your point, that could be sports or just exercise or things of that nature. Like, I feel better when I can watch sports or I can be involved in a team aspect of something. So I think for me, I've been kind of searching for that in like working on a project with somebody else or looking at an idea with somebody else or me and my wife, my wife working as a team on something. And so I think, you know, for me, it, it's sports, but it's also like the team aspect of things. And, and hopefully when we're, you know, on, on the other side of whatever the other side of coronavirus looks like, I hope that we can kind of continue that forward and, and not forget that we're using these things as, as really fulfillment for what we need. 100%. That, that, have you guys seen, uh, it's like viral right now and it's called the great realization. Um, it's some like, like British guy who's probably our age, maybe even younger. And, uh, he's reading this maybe like three minute, um, poem or like story, like reading it to his little brother or kid or something. And, uh, it like it's all about the coronavirus and like 2020 and you should you should give it a listen this is this is free advertising for that guy but it's honestly like i don't know it just like puts in perspective everything that we're talking about and kind of like the brighter future ahead where we're able to like utilize these things that we learned as far as embracing the relationships and our loved ones and um you know being outside and like just using this time differently. And then like, once we go into the, you know, new world or the next phase or whatever you want to call it, like there's just a different appreciation for some of these things. Um, and the world looks a little bit differently afterwards. And he says it in like a, you know, like reading it to a kid form. So it, 
it really hits home, man. It's pretty good. You guys should give it a listen. I'll definitely have to check that out. But going back to team sport, I absolutely miss like the teammate aspect of sports. It's so hard to replicate in anything you do kind of like day to day just because, and I've said this before, like when you're at work, you can't just like run up to someone and like give them a high five and like yell, like let's go at the top of your lungs. It's just not, (laughs) not acceptable. But even if like when we're golfing and we do a scramble, I just enjoy it so much better because it's just like the team aspect and we're all trying to do the same thing and you're going to like make fun of them a little bit if they hit a bad shot but like you want them to succeed because they impact how you're doing um and i'm always just looking for kind of recreating that feeling and it's hard to do and i'm sure a lot of athletes struggle with that too not only with the structure of sports but like having that common bond of, of going through something tough together and, and succeeding to better. So I'm glad you, you brought up the team sport aspect because, um, especially now, like coronavirus, you guys are outside the people I live with. Like you guys are the only people I'll probably talk to today. So it's nice to, to find ways to reach out and to, uh, socially stay healthy as much as physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, so I appreciate you guys taking time to be on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. This is a that's a really good way to put it, and I think that that kind of puts a cap on on a lot of thoughts that I have as far as kind of how to best utilize your time and kind of you know sort through some of the things that uh, you find important and try to make yourself better and be productive and reframe something that's obviously uh, a tragedy in regard to being lives lost and and really. You know, money lost financially and, and everything like that and really trying to turn it into a positive and in, in what you're doing hopefully the next time we have you on all this will be behind us we'll be back to normal we'll be in person and we'll be eating some of those ri- i i if you're taking orders i'm ordering ribs so you got hopefully that smoker's up and running and we can uh we can have a good meal and, and chat again soon you got it that sounds great awesome we'll cut it there I feel like we could go for another like two to three hours. But yeah, I'm sure our sure. listeners would be like, all right, these guys need to cut it off here. So, yeah. <laughs> um, dude, that was sweet. That was That is what I want, like legit in a podcast every time where it's like we have some ideas, but then we just start talking about like the NBA and NHL for like 40 minutes. And it's like that wasn't even scripted and it still relates, but. Absolutely. Was- I think, uh, people love to hear like a conversational podcast, you know, like you can, you know, when it's like, well, at least the podcasts I listen to are always, are almost always just like conversational in nature where it's, and if you get like the, a good conversation gets going, it becomes really easy. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I've been listening to this for 45 minutes or an hour or what, you know, whatever. I think that's, that was fun. That was a ton of fun. And the other thing I just want is like, I just want your opinion. Like I can look up anything and find information on it. Like I want to know what you think about this particular matter. So it's like I'm going to ask you opinion-related questions, and the better guests definitely like give their opinion, and they don't apologize. They're like, "This is what I think. I could be right. I could be wrong." But um, like that's the whole point of doing it is like to get to know you and not just like read off of uh, PubMed like what's going on. Anyone can do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i should have done is just pull up a bunch of articles so i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, actually refer to your uh to a dan lorenz article from 2018 here. <laughs> <laughs> in regard yeah. to program <laughs> 
No, that's that's great. This is a this is a ton of fun. I'm glad you guys had me on again. Yeah, we're yeah. Uh, well. Yeah, like we everyone has the time. Actually, Corbo doesn't have time because you just had a kid. So um, that guy, that guy's a beast, man. He's uh he's doing like home stuff. He's still working uh, off and on. Like he's got all sorts of balls in the air, as as Corbo usually does. So. <laughs> Oh man, um, yeah, we're def- we'll definitely have you on again in the future. You're uh, you're one of the rare two-time guests. I don't even uh, know. I know. I meant to bring that up actually. I should have. <laughs> Maybe we'll throw that. In- we'll throw that in the intro. Well, there you're you on go. the elite list of two-time guests. So, um, one more thing before we go. Do you have any guests for us to be on future podcasts? Do you have anyone you think would be? Basically, someone you would want to listen to us interview, and my brother Charlie's pointing at me right now, and he's he's not he's not material yet. <laughs> See, that's what uh, you got to get you got to get Charlie going when uh, when he gets to start the residency and everything, and get his opinion that he can just say that you know everything that Jeremy said is actually completely opposite of what. <laughs> yeah, he'll just disown like you and Carl. Like, yeah, those guys don't know anything. Actually. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if you don't have anyone top of your head, that's fine. Just let us know. Yeah. But basically we want someone that you would want to like listen to because we can ask anybody to be on, but really trying to find guests who are like super interesting to listen to. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm just rambling. No, right let I, I, no, let me put the, let me put some real thought to it and then I'll, yeah. I'll just shoot you a text. I got your number now. Yeah. Um, let me think. Yeah. Let me think about it. Cause there's always like, you want to find a guest who's really interesting, but like, they're not too busy. Cause some people are like, they're just super busy and they don't have time. And it's like, yeah, I could ask them, but probably yeah. not, or, you know, so, um, it's been funny. Uh, it's funny you say that because now that we're doing like all these zoom meetings and stuff like that, yeah. it's like fun to, uh, you know, if I've been trying to kind of connect with different people that maybe I want to just kind of get their opinion on something or, or stuff like that. And it's funny because like with how much time we have, people still don't have like that much time. It seems, you know, cause right. your days just fly by. Like you're, you're still like every day or you're, you're, you know, you're going to the grocery store, you're doing whatever, or, like people are right. still working from home or like, so they can't really dedicate the time. And then when they're done with work, they want to be able to spend time with their family because this doesn't get to happen all the time too. So, and I totally get that. Uh, yeah, no, but let me, let me put some, some real thought to that and get back to you. I, I heard that uh, somebody said, what was it? The days go fast, but the weeks are long. And I, that like that like kind of yeah. resonates with me because it's like, I mean, today it's already, what is it, 145? Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I just feel like there's still so many things I want to like get done today and do. But then like, it's also already Thursday, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. or, like, or no, I said that the other way around. It's just now Thursday. Like this week has felt long, right. but the yep. days are going super fast. Like, I definitely, uh, I've, I've fallen into like, you know, when you're a little kid and like, you'd be out of school for like the summer in like elementary school or like middle school or whatever. And like, you had absolutely zero idea, like idea what day it was. Yep. And then all of a sudden your mom would like come around and be like, Hey, like you got to go to school on Monday. And you're like, well, what day is today? Like, how long do I have until Monday? (laughs) (laughs) I got some things I need to jam pack in here. Like, when do I, you know, 
And so the, the only thing that kept me calibrated as a kid was like, well, we went to the lake on Friday, Saturday, came home Sunday. But from Monday until, you know, Friday, Friday. when my parents were done with work, I had no idea what day it was. Yep. Dude, that's a good feeling, though. That's a good, like, just living <laughs> in the moment, dude. Not worrying right. about what's coming on next Wednesday or living right. in the moment. My mom would always make us try to go to bed, like, early the week before school to, like, get adjusted. It's like, Mom, like, we can do that next week. Like, it's still summer. <laughs> don't try, like, don't bring in all the school stuff now. Like, we'll just figure it out next week. Right. You're like, this is all about, like, mental fortitude. I'll battle through next week. So. <laughs> like, it's going to suck either way. Might as well yeah. enjoy the last week of fun. Exactly. That's fine. I never, I never, the more I learn about sleep, the more I understand, like, why I never adjusted to that sleep schedule. Like, getting up at, like, 6 or 6.30, whatever it was for school, every single day, like, I never got adjusted to it. That's a, that's been actually, like, one of the big time positives for me is I've I totally let myself, like, my body decide what my circadian rhythm is. Like, when I'm tired, I go to bed. When I'm, when I need to wake up, I wake up. Like, unless I truly have, like, a meeting in the morning that I need to get up for and, like, prepare or something, like, but that just doesn't, you know, it's happening so infrequently. You just that don't it, schedule those, you know? It's like, ah, yeah. I'm busy this morning, you know? Gotta be afternoon. <laughs> right. But, you know, to, to your point, like, if I'm really trying to get a hold of somebody and I want to have a conversation with them and they're, they've been, like, difficult to get on the horn or something like that, like, if they're like, yeah, my, my opportunities at, like, 7 a.m. on Friday, like, I'm going to get up at 6 and make sure I'm ready to rock at 7, you know? Like, just depends oh, yeah. on. But, That's no, it's, committed, it's funny. It's, it, it is funny though like i'm like especially when you when you don't have things going on or, or like yeah. you know for us like we would start work at 7 a.m mm-hmm. but now like even if i have like when we were you know before we were furloughed we had our meetings our earliest one would be at eight so like you could wake up at 7 55 and like throw a hat on and a sweatshirt and go downstairs and like throw some coffee on and you're good to go like yeah. And you'd usually be working. You'd already see a patient by then and be on to your next patient. <laughs> but um, what do you have the rest of the day? Not much. My dog's actually got a vet appointment, which is kind of funny because he's not a big vet guy. Yeah. And uh, they're just you're just driving up, and then they're like taking your dog in, and then they yeah. just like call you with what they need, like you know, hey, uh, he needs this vaccine and this vaccine, and right. we're gonna give him some heart guard or whatever. And you're just like, yeah, you know, take all my money. I just had that. I just had that last week. You just pull up, drop the dog, and rip out of there. <laughs> it's just so like he, so weird. He's not gonna be thrilled with my uh, my wife and I here shortly. What yeah. kind of dog is it? Black lab. Dude, I'm jealous. Yeah, I'm super he's, jealous he's right now. I got him. The uh, the week before school started, my freshman year of college. So that was a bold decision. Dang. Oh wow, that's sweet, <laughs> yeah. man. Like yeah. like undergrad or talking here? Yeah. So he's actually like seven, or will be seven in June. Dang, that's committed, Dude. man. Yeah, cool. I, it, it paid off when PT school came around because I mean, like as much as we think we were busy in undergrad, like twenty twenty hindsight, like we weren't that busy. You know, like we can wow. make time to like go home, let the dog out, take him out for a run for an hour and you know, weekends and stuff like that. But um now it's you know, when PT school came around and stuff like that, it's just it's a blessing in disguise and he's he's cake during the day. I mean he doesn't just chill, he does whatever he wants and then we come home and he's like 
what's up? We're going to go for a walk or what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) He's probably loving it now though. You guys are just home all the time. Oh yeah. Peter actually sent me a pretty funny article about like how cats are like, just not happy that their owners are home. (laughs) (laughs) And how dogs are just thrilled. I was probably a little bit upset about is the fact that, uh, he doesn't get his like scheduled naps, you know, like usually like, we wake yeah. up in the morning, let him out, feed him. And then he's like, all right, deuces, like, <laughs> I'm going to take a nap. And then, you know, and then he he probably like, you know, wakes up during the day, maybe does a few things, who knows. But then when we get home, he's like, all right, ready to rock today. Like now it's like, you know, what, what do you mean? Like, no, I, I ate, I had my breakfast, like it's nap time. It's not time for you to be like moving about in the house because now I need to track where you're going so that I know where you're at. <laughs> Dude, oh my gosh, that's a hundred percent. It's hilarious. That's funny. But, I don't yeah. have a dog yet, but someday I will. And you got to get one, TV. Working on it. Working They're on awesome. it. What's this pot? Uh, yeah. So, dude, enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, have fun up in North Dakota. Hopefully, we'll uh, either see you soon or, or chat soon. But yeah, if you have any questions, you get, if you have any, if you want to talk shop again, whether podcast or not, just let us know. Yeah, that'd be a blast. We'll do. All right, Jeremy. Take it easy, man. I got one last question for you. How is Charlie holding up? Is he taking his boards now or what's he doing? Um, he's had, he's had quite the five months here. So oh, I can bet. Had, yeah, so bad you him. know, he had hip surgery, right? Yeah. So he's still recovering from that. And then his car broke down in March. So he doesn't have a car. And then his girlfriend was, uh, in Ireland for their last clinical. And then she had to come home. Like they all got, kicked out of clinical basically but they're all going to graduate on time um so she basically got she had to come home early and he was in gold ireland see her so he didn't get to do that and then his boards got pushed to may 20th so like what two more weeks here he was going to take it in april and then they pushed it to may so hopefully may 20th he gets to take it and and be done because he's been studying now for like since january yeah that's so brutal. He's he's ready to be done. He's done with everything school related. They were supposed to graduate on Saturday. So he's completely done with school, done with clinic, all that. And then he just doesn't know like with the residency what's gonna happen. If it's gonna get delayed or or what. So hopefully he takes boards, passes, and then the rest of it they figure out. Absolutely. Well, if he ever needs anything, tell him to uh, let me know. I will put the I'll I'll uh give him your number and uh we actually have, I'm going to show you here. We have, the mini hoop is down right now, but oh, yeah, the door doesn't shut with it. But we play mini hoop in my bedroom. And we play, we play, every game is up to one point. So if you score, you win a game. And then we play best of seven. And we've played like, maybe like 50 to 75 of those in the last like couple <laughs> weeks. Just because like we awesome. have time. And um, I don't know. It's all we've been doing. Stay sane. So yeah, he usually gets the upper hand. So I gotta start beating him up a little more. That way, that way. I'll let you know your resource though. So (laughs) for sure, he's sick of talking to Brad and I too. So he could use some fresh (laughs) info. You got it. That sounds good. We'll talk soon. All right, later. Take it easy. See ya.